Hi, my name's Alex. And I'm Sarah, bringing you the very first episode of EUR Unfiltered. We're here to normalize the conversation on mental health. Recently, there's been more focus on the pressure that students are facing, ranging from news articles to political debates. This got us thinking. What is this pressure that students experience? What does it look like and where does it come from? And most importantly, what can we do to deal with it? Today, we're going to dive a little deeper into this topic with a bunch of guests. We'll hear from academic and non-academic staff alike, as well as one of our students. That's right. We're talking to study advisors Lucy and Katie from EUC and Miro and Lonneke from EMC. We're also going to be talking to RSM graduate Angelina and lastly, Associate Professor of Clinical Psychology, Marilisa Boffa. So on that note, here's our first two guest speakers from Erasmus University College, EUC for short. Hi, I'm Katie. I am a student counselor at EUC and I've been there for almost four years now. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm also a student counselor at EUC. I've been there for about five years and will be leaving by the time this podcast comes out to pursue new adventures. So at EUC, students follow the liberal arts and sciences track, which is one of the more challenging programs at EUR. Where does the pressure start for your students? We're a selective program, right? So even though you might be meeting the criteria, you still have to go through an application process. You might uh, be selected or not. We take 218 students every year. So um, it, just getting in is already quite an achievement, I would say. And you mentioned that um, it does attract a lot of overachievers because there's such a rigorous process to get in and so a lot of students are probably you know top of the class students so do you see a lot of that coming back in in your offices oh for sure i have a lot of students this past year i worked with the first years who have mentioned i used to get the top of the grades be the top of the class in secondary school high school and it's quite shocking to come here and be perceived as average or even sometimes not passing all the classes. I've had a, many students say this is the first class I've ever failed in my life. So that is can be quite a harsh reality when you are used to always succeeding in academics. And I think part of it is also the grading system over here, like mm -hmm. the or kind of the culture around the grading system as well. You should be happy with a six and an eight is exceptional for our students. For quite a few of them, anything that's not a 10 is just failure. Is there something that you tell your students specifically when it comes to expectation management, you know, balancing this expectation they have for themselves, but also the reality that they find themselves in? I think part of it is is, is that failure is part of the process. You know, um, like Katie was saying, we have students who have never failed at anything before. So even if you failed, you know, a test that's worth 10% of your grade, then that can feel like the end of the world, um, when actually it's a really nice way to be introduced to failure, that you can bounce back from that, that you can recover, that a little kind of misstep doesn't mean that you will not graduate or something like that. So there's, even though it is a competitive process and those kind of things, there's still room for error, there's room for failure, there's room for learning from it. Um, so you need to allow some kind of space for that. I think particularly in the beginning when, when you're just kind of building your relationships and you're testing things out, no one really likes to come forward with, oh, I'm really bad at this and this went wrong for me and I'm really struggling. Everyone's only putting out their, you know, their, their Instagram self mm -hmm. um, with everything that they're great at and their loving life and they're having a party every night and everything's going great. So 
they're setting up expectations amongst each other that everybody's doing brilliantly, which makes it much harder to then be the one who says, well, actually, I'm not doing so well. I'm the one who's struggling. And what we see, once one person starts with that, there's quite often a positive ripple effect and others saying like, oh, well, no, me too. This was horrendous. And, and then they can start building support around it. But it often takes that first person to be braver than the rest and step forward and say like, this is maybe not so easy for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also to normalize that, right? That it's okay if you find out that it's not really your thing or that it's not working for you. Adding to that, I think it's also important to ask for help, although sometimes that can make you feel like you're a burden on your loved ones. What's your take on that? I have a quote in my office that says, you have a burden, which by definition means it's too hard to carry on your own. So you're not a burden for asking for help. You just need help with it. And I think it's very important for students to be told that constantly. So I think both me and Lucy are constantly telling our students that in individual appointments, like reach out. It's good you're reaching out to us, so that's already great. But your friends, you're not alone in this. And I think that's always helpful to hear. I once had a student also iterate this thought in the sense that he said, Um, my worries or my stress are like a glass of water that I have to hold the entire time with an outstretched arm. And normally a glass of water is not that heavy. It's easy to carry. But if you have to carry it all the time on your own, your arm will get tired. You'll get tired. It'll be heavy. And if there's just someone to support your arm or to hold the glass for a while, even if it's just a little bit, it makes the burden so much lighter. So please talk to other people. At EUC, people are living together at their community building, and so they navigate a lot of new things amongst which uh, social demands. Could you elaborate on that? I think it's not just social demands, it's also kind of environment demands, if that makes sense. If we're thinking about how the healthcare system is organized, if we're thinking about how... Um, how to open a bank account, just those basic things. Um, If that is very different to what you know from back home, then that presents a huge hurdle and um, can can be really tricky for students and can occupy a large space in your head um, that you can't use for other things because you're so preoccupied with, you know, signing up with the doctor or figuring out whether you need insurance, those kind of things. So I think that's not to be underestimated, that you need to make some room for those practical things as well. So do you find students seeking support with one another with all these new demands that they're opening up to each other? I think I think it's becoming better. Mm -hmm. I think students are getting a lot better in talking about it. Um, it, it, It needs a few people to step forward and start that ripple effect. But I think students are getting better at sharing that things are maybe not as they would have liked to be. Yeah. So in closing, do you have some advice for students that are currently finding themselves in a study program or a place where they feel like they don't belong? I think something for all university students or anyone starting a job, a career, a academic program, it's important to realize just because you started something, you don't always have to finish it because that doesn't necessarily mean you're quitting. Making them realize or encouraging them to think about it in a different way is you're not quitting. You're choosing a new direction. You're realizing when something is not right for you. And sometimes I think that is just as important to figure out what is not right for you as it is to find out what is right for you. Thank you, Katie and Lucy, for your wonderful input. Next, we're talking to one of our students. 
So with us today, we have Angelina, who studied at the Rotterdam School of Management and just graduated. And today she's going to share some insights with us about how it is to deal with pressures as a student of Erasmus University Rotterdam. Well, I think when I talk about pressures, there's a lot that comes to my mind. I think I could talk for this for hours and it's a lot of clusters that just immediately become vivid. And especially in the Netherlands, I think I could say a couple of main factors that were really pressing for me. First one is like housing. First of all, we know there is a huge crisis and it's not that easy to switch to another place, even if you're struggling where you're leaving, just because you're an international and not everybody takes you in. Not everybody signs contract with you just because you don't speak Dutch. And other than housing, what are more factors that contribute to that pressure feeling? I think it's in general the study loads together with expectations from oneself Like I come from a very competitive environment. I was uh, born in Belarus and I was taken to very competitive sports. I did rhythmic gymnastics and uh, dancing and we toured internationally. So I was like raised in that environment where I was expected to be the best, to want to win like the gold medal and to just succeed at everything and have studies on top and job on top and be like the top of class. And I think when I came here first, Well, I realized that I am not actually the top of class because this is such a different education system. What's your advice also to other students that may be experiencing the same thing? Yeah, that's challenging. You know, um, with the mindset of I have to be a good girl, I have to be a good student, I have to be a good friend, I have to be this, I have to be that, it's not going to take you places. And unfortunately, that's what I had for a very long time. Like, again, with the competitive environment, a lot of expectations from you. And you kind of lose yourself in there. You think, what do I really like? Do I like the subject that I'm studying? Do I like to work in this field? Am I socializing enough? Am I doing what society expects from you? You know, but in the end, it's your life. In the end, it's your choices. And no one knows better than you what you have to do. What are things that you would give in other international students as tips on how to deal with our tiny but very complex country? I have a few tips. Um, so first of all, I think you just have to have a mindset of I am enough. I am enough to do this and I am enough to succeed. And I don't have to be the best version of myself. I can learn. I can make mistakes as much as I can. And in the end, it's all an exciting journey. It's something new that brings you a lot of new things, a lot of new acquaintances, a lot of new adventures. And you have to know that there is a good reason why you do it. It's not just because you want to have fun, but it's because you actually want to self-improve as well. And then, of course, what we talk about failure, that it's okay to redo something. And you always just have to know that you can. There's no need to call your mom like the next day after when you fail an exam and say, mom, I'm packing my bags, I'm going home, which is also a common practice, you know. And for some people it works like that. But I do think that if there is another chance that you can take, give this chance. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this balance between your expectations and reality when it comes to your studies at uh, the Rotterdam School of Management and also what kind of influence this had on you when it came to uh, grades or academic performances? I realized that your GPA does not determine who you are as a specialist, what job you get in the future and how good you will be at it. So this is something that I... I take from it. So it sounds like you have a very positive outlook on life and that that perspective may have helped you deal with these pressures a lot. Um, do you have any parting words of advice for our students? Smile. 
Smile a lot. <laughs> smile to yourself. Smile to other people. Smile to your reflection in the mirror. It sounds very simple, but if you're going to be gloomy all day, it's not going to help you or others. Say hello to people on the street. You know, be that light for someone. Sometimes I walk on the street and somebody smiles at me like as if they know me for 10 years and I it's the first time I see that person and that just brightens up my day. You can be someone who brightens up the day of somebody else. Now we are moving on from our student back to staff. So we're also here today with Lonneke and Merel, student advisors uh, and academic advisors as well from Erasmus Medical Center. Uh, hi, welcome. I'm uh, Merel. Hi, my name is Lonneke. So how does uh, studying to become a doctor or doing something in the medical field differ from being a regular student? I think the study program for medical students is it's, it's quite a lot. Eh? They have to um, be present uh, quite a lot at uh, the Erasmus MC. Um, talking about the general population of students that um, decide to do a medical study, what is kind of the the normal or most common profile you see in your students in terms of, for example, overachievers or perfectionists or anything in uh, in that trend? Yeah, perfectionism mm. is something that's uh, quite common. We see a lot of students who have, um, <clears throat> they experience a lot of pressure. Yeah, sometimes they create the pressure a little bit themselves or they talk about it uh, with each other and they say, oh, we really have to do this and that or else you can't be uh, the, the specialist you want. Yeah, you have to study very hard from day one. Um, but they forget that they are um, following an education program. Yeah, you, you are able to learn things and that's okay. But they expect from themselves that they already have to know everything. And um, yeah, that's not quite realistic. Often we see students who had quite an easy time in their secondary education. So because they were really, really good at school and they didn't have to work very hard, they didn't really learn any study skills because it was never necessary. And then when they come to our first year, they have a, a, a big load of, of coursework. And then sometimes they start needing these skills, but they've never tried it out. They've never practiced it. They don't really know where to start with that because they're used to everything just happening the, the grades just to the past grades just coming in like that without a lot of effort and they often are very willing to put in the effort just don't really know where to start and when you see students who had a harder time in secondary education and they already had to learn how they learn what what they're like then they they have a bit of a of an advantage i think so we see a lot of things in common with other faculties and other students i mean they're all just humans after all. They suffer from pressure. They have difficulty admitting failure. They have difficulties asking for help. But what I think that is specifically uh, present for, for the medical students is the difficulty of being vulnerable or open up about your problems uh, because they might face difficulties doing so. Is that something you guys recognize with your students? I think we do. I mean, there is a lot of students who look around and see their fellow students and they don't see what's going on in their life. All they see is the grades they get or the image that they show uh, either in real life or on social media. And they see the, the teachers, the tutors, the doctors uh, doing what they're aspiring to be. And they feel like they have to live up to that. And 
if they feel under pressure, if they feel burnt out, for example, and they know that their teacher is also working 60 hours a week, they feel they're not allowed to, to share that and to explain they feel uh, not very happy because they feel they have to fit in and they have to be able to do this. So they often tell themselves to just get on with it and just be a bit tougher and, and just get it done. Exactly, because is there um, also some advice that you would always give a student when they're coming with their head kind of down to the ground and saying, oh, well, everyone around me seems to be doing really well. And I can imagine students, they compare a lot with the, their peers and what everyone else is doing. Um, but then what is something you tell them to kind of give them this motivation that it's okay, that they're not doing the best that they were hoping for? Well, often they uh, feel like their situation is very unique. And um, I usually try to explain to them without um, demeaning their experience that there are so many students sitting in that same chair as they are. And there are so many people dealing with so many things that it's really, really normal. And it's also a skill that's very, very useful for the rest of your life. And if you are capable of uh, helping yourself and and being uh, f feeling better, looking after yourself first, and then uh, trying to to work your way back into your education and, and scoring your points again, then you have a skill that you're going to be needing as a doctor as well in the future. Yeah, we always tell students that if you uh, if you can't uh, take good care of yourself, then you can't be a good doctor doctor as well uh, in the future. Yeah, because if you don't know yourself and you don't know how to handle your own vulnerabilities or uh, look at uh, your environment and talk about it, uh, that's a, a, a big skill that you have to be prepared for later in your career as well. Like they say in the airplane, put in your own oxygen mask first exactly. before you help other people. Yes, exactly. And I think if you dedicate your life to helping other people, you might as well dedicate a part of your life to knowing how to help yourself. But in order to help yourself, you should be able to acknowledge that you might actually need help, which requires opening up and being vulnerable. It is really difficult to normalize that being vulnerable is a normal part of, um, you know, learning process and that sometimes things are a little difficult. Uh, but I can imagine that a lot of students coming in, they nobody really shows that side. Maybe peers don't really talk with one another that they're having a really hard time or that they failed that one exam. I'm not sure if that's the same for your faculty, if you recognize that in students. Yeah, we do uh, recognize that. And uh, when I talk to students, I try to give them uh, the feeling and uh, I try to challenge them as well a little bit that it's okay to talk about uh, what, what your feelings are or, or what your vulnerabilities are and that it's normal to do that. What would you say to students who cannot stop comparing themselves to others? I think it's a... Uh something very easy to do but it's not always the most healthy thing to do and i would advise students to if they really want to compare compare themselves to themselves of two weeks earlier or to themselves in about two weeks because then they will really be able to see their own growth and i think a really important part of it as well is um of course comparison is normal it's not always productive but we will probably continue doing it but to also normalize that sometimes you're going to have some moments along the road that you don't meet that goal and that you are going to be disappointed. And so do you have any advice from that point of view, um, how your students can best deal with 
disappointment and accepting that sometimes they fail at what they set out to do. Uh, sometimes they are very disappointed about a grade they it had, they fail, um, or they are disappointed that um, nah, yeah, the education is not what they expect it to be. We try to uh, talk to them and put it a little bit more in perspective. You can also sometimes look at the positive things that you did um, that you were able to, to reach. I mean, sometimes students need a 5.5 to pass and they have a 5.2 and they're really, really disappointed because maybe they've never scored a fail grade in their previous education. This is the first time and it's, it's the most horrible thing that ever happened in their, in their experience. However, um, it's also something you can see as you're really close to passing next time. You've already scored quite a lot of points. You don't need a lot more to get to the 5.5. Uh, so if you have to study for your reset, it's, it's, you don't require a lot more than what you've already got. Yeah. So there's also there's always something positive to, to find, to shine a light on and to grow. Say there were students listening right now that are dealing with an immense feeling of pressure or that they might not be good, doing good enough. What would be something that you would share with them? Um, talk about it. This, so don't um, uh, put more pressure on you uh, uh, when you keep it to yourself, but find someone who you trust and talk about it and ask, hey, uh, how did you manage in this situation? Or um, if you don't want that or you don't have anyone in your environment, <laughs> then you also can reach out to us. And you don't have to feel great all the time. Sometimes you don't feel great for a bit and that's okay too. And uh, Definitely agree with me, Errol. Just come over and have a talk. If it's with your your friends or your fellow students, that's fine. If it's with us, you're completely welcome. Find someone to share the load with. So talk to other people, share the burden, and there will be no flowers if there is no rain. Exactly. Thank you, Meiro and Lonneke. Finally, we have our last guest speaker diving a bit deeper into what the stress that comes with the pressure really does to us and how to lighten the load a bit. Hi, everybody. I'm Marilisa Boffo. I'm an assistant professor in clinical psychology and e-health at ESSB, one of our faculties, and also academic lead of the student wellbeing program at Erasmus. Hi, Marilisa. Nice to have you here. Thank you. So... A lot of students um, have stress because it's a part of life and it's something that everybody will go through. But we're actually very curious to hear what goes on in our bodies when we experience stress. Stress, um, it is an evolutionary response to our body towards dangers and demands from the environment. We used to be confronted with tigers and, you know, all kinds of dangers in the in the forest back in the, in the old days. But nowadays, stressors are, have changed. Studying, working, house chores, financials, climate change. There are many stressors in our lives that, that, that we can feel very demanding. So... In, in a few words, our body gets into a fight or flight response where like we experience, you know, increased heartbeat, we start sweating, our breath gets, gets faster, we start breathing faster, we feel very sharp, focused. This is really like a, a, an immediate response of our body towards whatever we perceive as a stressor. As you can imagine, this is actually functional. It's good. It makes, it makes us perform well in that situation. However, 
when we stay in that state for too long or repeatedly over time, our body loses capacity to recover. And this is essential in, in recovering from stress. Our body can function in a constant stress mode, in a constant fight or flight mode, but it also needs to go back to baseline, to, to, to balance. And that's why recovery is really, really important. So what happens actually when you notice that your body can no longer uh, recover or have the resources to recover? Um, does that mean you fall into a sort of chronic stress response? Yeah. Yeah. What happens is from a physiological perspective, you basically have constantly high levels of cortisol and high levels of adrenaline, which also have a long term impact on your, phys on, on your physiology. They damage cardiovascular uh, tissues. They, they, they affect your blood pressure. They also affect your memory and your concentration, your attention. They have consequences on your mood. So you can start feeling depressed. You can start feeling distracted. You can start feeling that you lose track of things because of this uh, toxic impact of high levels of cortisol in your, in your system. This means that the experience that you have is that you're overwhelmed, you're exhausted. You feel that the harder you push, but the less performer you are somehow. So it becomes really a, a pushback from the actual uh, positive response that you had initially. That's why After a period of stress, after a stress response towards, I don't know, an exam or something really intense that demands your attention and your effort, you need to take a moment, a space and time for your body to go back to your homeostasis, to your baseline. Yeah. So short term stress is productive. Long term stress might be destructive. Yes, that's perfectly said. Yeah, to add on to uh, Alex's point that short-term stress can be productive, what is it that that makes the difference between a dangerous situation and uh, one that is less dangerous? Uh, and how does stress actually take shape? So if you look at the definition of stress, it, it is related to your perception of the balance between the incoming demand from a situation, whether dangerous or not. That that let's leave it aside, and the amount of resources that you have to cope with that situation. If you're depleted, no matter, it could be that, oh, this bottle falls down and it could be so overwhelming to me, just lift it up because I can't move because I'm so physically tired out of the previous stressors that to me it's just overwhelming. It just kills me. And that is not really a big stressor, right? So it really boils down to the perception that you have. There are situations that are objectively dangerous, but there are also situations that might not be objectively dangerous, but that have such a big impact on you that you just feel them as very stressful. That doesn't make them less stressful than the dangerous situation. It's really the perception that you have that you can cope mm -hmm. that uh, difficult situation. I think there's also a quote I read once that says, life isn't stressful, it's your, your thoughts on what's coming at you and your perception of it that is stressful. Um, and I always try to think of that when I find myself kind of acting in an overwhelmed way to something that to somebody else is really no biggie. <laughs> so I do can, I can relate with what you say. What you're basically doing is reframing, which is one of the principles of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And can you briefly explain what, what reframing is? Reframing, it's used when you imagine what you just said, the difficult situation that you perceive as, this is, I will never be able to deal with it. 
But you, if you try to look at it from a different perspective, or if you try to look at it from the perspective of somebody else to whom you know that situation might not be as difficult, you might see it from a different angle and actually realize, oh, it's not that difficult after all, because I can do that or I can approach it in a different way. And that is also, that's called reframing, because you reframe the perspective instead of using sticking to the same frame that you use to look at the world. So short-term stress might be beneficial to you. It might be a reaction that could save your life or could be an overreaction because our perception of a situation might be exaggerated a bit. Um, and then the long-term stress is actually always a negative thing. Um, or maybe too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Uh, so what can we do to make sure that we don't go over that threshold? Learn what recovery means to you. So everybody recovers from a stressful situation in different ways. So the uh, stress recovery model has been largely studied. There's a lot of evidence in the, in the literature supporting this model, and it's actually used in highly competitive professions or, or, or professions like jobs that demands um, uh, a high level of concentration, imagine like pilots, professional athletes, where they, they go into this very intense, uh, very uh, draining moments of, of performance, and then they are obliged and they know themselves that after these intense moments of performance, they have to take a moment of recovery, a period of recovery to go back to their balance, to their initial balance in order to be able to perform again. Everybody should learn from this example. Everybody should learn what is that makes you recover, which is different from what makes you recover. So everybody recovers differently. Trying to learn how you recover from a stressful situation, whether it's through physical exercise, whether it's through going for a brisk walk or just walking in a green landscape or even watching Netflix or just sitting on the couch and, you know, painting something, anything. As long as you try to understand what is that detaches you from the stressful uh, and highly performing uh, moment of work or study and brings you back to your homeostatic uh, baseline. And balance. Exactly. And I think it's very beneficial to, to learn what makes you unwind and to recover from the day and the stressors. However, I also wonder how can you realize when the recovery is necessary? Because I know in my case, I could think, okay, I'm going to do something that makes me feel unwinded. However, I tend to recognize it too late when I've already been in a higher stress um, mode for longer. In that case, it's going to take you a way longer time to recover because now you have accumulated stress that you have to you know, bring back to balance. In, if you look at the theories, you... The moment where you realize, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so tired, I should do something for it. It's the moment that where you're the least likely to actually be able to benefit from doing something that will help you unwind. Because now you, you already crossed the line. So learning at the beginning what is that makes you feel relaxed, what is that makes you feel energized. So relaxed and energized can be present at the same time time that the, the, there are two feelings that are complementary will help you face the next stressor more productively so learning discover yourself and then experiment with different methods with different uh, ways of of relaxing and de-stressing will help you having 
I don't want to use the word plan in your in, but it's actually a plan for when the next time you will face a stressor, and then you know, okay, you know what, I'm gonna uh, plan this time in my calendar or in my day or during my week where I'm gonna do this, this, and this that I know are good for me. But then you need to explore them first. So basically, what I'm hearing is, uh, as advice for students or, or people in general, is make a habit out of relaxing activities so that you don't have to use them as a last method or a last resort, but as something that is habitual and that is something part of your daily routine or your weekly routine so that you stay below that threshold, right? Yes. And also that you know that life is demanding. You have, We all have many tasks, many responsibilities, lots of duties, lots of, lots of chores and planning even a small moment to do at the end of the day or at the start of the day, better if it is at the end of the day, where you detach and you keep that moment for you. It could be 10 minutes. I'm a mother of two. For me, there are five. So, but those <laughs> five minutes really help creating that bubble where you, you come back. Mm, get grounded again. Yes. And I think also a nice message is that self-care is productive. And I think for me also being a student, it's very easy to feel guilty in the moments that you take for yourself where you're not studying or you're not working on that one assignment. Uh, and then you start feeling guilty during your time off. So it doesn't actually feel like you've had the time to recover. And actually feeling that guilt, which... Is, is, is understandable, especially when you see the amount of deadlines, the amount of things that you need to do. You want to make the most of your time, right? But not taking that time of self-care is counterproductive because you will not be able to cope to fulfill all of those duties, all of those responsibilities, all of, all of those deadlines to the best of your abilities. So in that case... This guilt, you can look at it as, as you are imposing yourself your own stressor, basically, because you're creating an additional stressor, which is the, which is the guilt of doing nothing in a moment where you're actually taking care of your body. So going back um, full circle, we touched upon what stress is on a bigger picture and also the evolutionary perspective of stress. Um, but when we look at a university student and the stress that they are feeling, what is a take home message um, you would like to give students experiencing this? I think what's important in this stage for students is to learn about themselves, learn how they um, relax, learn how they recover from stress, especially in this phase of their life where you're learning to learn. When you are so stressed, stressed out that your concentration is, is out of the window, it's really difficult for you to learn. So finding how you recover from stress, how your body recovers from stress is extremely important and will just be super productive for you because then you will be able to learn at the best of your capacity. So I think that investing time in understanding how you recover from stress and implementing that in your own daily life, that is an investment for your future. It's not lost time. It's facilitating your brain on how to deal with everything that gets thrown at you throughout all these semesters, really. Yes, And absolutely. then life afterward. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. A good take-home message. Thank you, Marilisa, for your input. And this brings us to the end of our episode. I feel like we went through a lot of good things today. We've talked about expectations and how they might differ from reality. We've covered the difficulty of being vulnerable, dealing with disappointments and comparing yourself to others. 
We've tried to normalize failing and feeling blue every now and then. And lastly, we went into the stress response that this pressure might elicit, why it can be bad for you in the long term and how to deal with that properly. So what's the takeaway? Be realistic and kind to yourself. Know that failing is part of the process, so don't be afraid to open up. Ask for help and explore new and fun ways to relax as well. We might be redundant, but self-care really is productive and relaxation truly is necessary. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll hope you tune in next time.